God. Thank you. Uh, everything what we've sang, everything that we've heard, everything we've so far done, I believe is, is uh, in concert with what God wants to, to encourage us and strengthen us in for this season we're in. Uh, even the windstorms that we've had overnight. I don't know where you live or how the wind hits you, but it hit us hard. We live in apartments right in front of the beach, and we have a west-facing window that goes down the hall to the east-facing window and two little bedrooms and a little bathroom. I'd get up in the middle of the night, and the wind's blowing. Normally, it's through the west to the east, but to this, last night, it was east to the west, and it's like, whoa, that's one strong wind. I'm, I could, but I'm in a safe place, and I'm going to go put my head back in the, on my pillow and pull up the covers. And, you know, you have that kind of... Uh, uh, joy of being able to know you're in a safe place. It can be as windy and stormy wherever it is. If you're in a safe place, you can sleep. You can rest. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, bef- because we were doing all of these writings and trying to, I had to take all of the Bible reading rest of the overviews and write them through the end of the year so we could get them published into a book. Um, I wrote out a number of the secret places that which have come out always on the first there's Tuesday. It's always Tuesday morning. And so I had to come up with a title and I'm not obligated to keep a title that I'm I come up with, as everybody on staff knows, or you two. But um I came up with coming out of the storm. And I wanna share I'm gonna use Barb when I get into this I will start with just the Luke eight chap verses when we get going. So I'm going to skip the Mark verses. Uh, What I believe in our calling before the Lord as a people of God, and especially as a house of prayer for all nations, and especially a journey of 40 years in uh, following the Lord's vision, and never is it perfect, and we make more mistakes. I've made many more mistakes, and I could say, wow, that was really a right time, right move. In fact, most of the right time, right moves in my life were accidental. I wasn't concentrating too hard. <laughs> I was just kind of, you know, me, you know, Mr. Magoo meandering through. And the other times, and I really work really hard to sort this out and get it all. That's usually when I make the, the biggest mistakes uh, because I think I get too hard in trying to get an objective that I felt God was giving. And I try to press, the, press it back to that objective versus... One thing I learned in a storm, you don't fight it. You can't stop a windstorm in the sense of pushing more of your more more pressure against it. There's things that there's a resting that comes in it. So I'm going to share about uh, Jesus' experience, and then I want to talk about Paul's experience. And I want I believe God will help us because in a house of prayer for all nations, or just a father and mother praying over their family. The, the truth of what God is saying supersedes what you're seeing. But all of us who love someone and pray for them can begin to become more overwhelmed by what we're seeing and begin to battle what we're seeing instead of what God is saying. Does that make sense? You know, you start to see that you're, you're, you're lifted with promise and there's a hope ahead of you and you begin to anticipate it and it's connected to an outcome, or to a person, to a, a season. We're praying for our nation. We're praying for Israel. Uh, uh, and we can begin to be connected and yet we don't have all of the means to know how to, how to be uh, flexible and stay in faith. Uh, Reese Howells was... A, famous intercessor during World War II, and they, they were standing in the, the gap for Britain. They were in Great Britain, and they were over the wars and over the, air, and over the invasion attempts through the first trying to break the British uh, air defense and then just, you know, doing the blitz and bombing. And they would just get the news, and then they would pray and they would hear the voice of the Lord, and they would prophesy, and they would pray with God and confidence until they had the witness by the peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit saying, you've, you've succeeded this. And so they legislated from heaven into the circumstances and the wars, that the war that was the World War II that was going on. While they would do that, they were, you know, 
50-50 on their prophecies or, or declarations, they would call them. I don't think they were declarations. And it might have been predictions. They'd say, this is over. That's not going to happen. But he had been schooled through the Holy Spirit he, as an intercessor, praying over individuals, praying in, you know, they, he was born out into the midst of the Welsh revival. But he had been uh, schooled in the simple... Uh, widow saw Luke 18 that delay is never a denial it's to release a greater outcome than what you anticipated so long as you do not take your faith away so the, the point was okay we thought it would come this way we said it was going to come this way but it has not come this way that does not mean we weren't right because we were heard what we heard and said what we said. It doesn't matter whether we are right or wrong in prayer. It's that we keep our faith engaged until the outcome God has ordained happens. So they had to learn that. And any intercessor, any person of prayer, any father, mother, are going to feel at times really struggling with, well, is this because just this happened, did we just miss our moment? Did we just have a, are we, were we wrong in what we were praying? Did we not understand what God, and we're going to feel that. And that's why I think, for me, I know I have to return to the Lord every day to recalibrate my soul to submission back into rest. I have to go back to the Word every day to be told the truth about the world I'm living in and rise above it, the circumstances I'm in. And then let God deal with the fear that's risen or the angst or the anger and settle those issues so that I'm not the one in the battle. Because if I get in the battle, I'll get in the flesh. And I'll get in the flesh and my emotions will rise and I'll start praying from emotions or my fears will grab hold of my thoughts and I'll start praying to try to deflect them and, and say, we, these circumstances just can't be. I will not allow these circumstances to be. And I found more and more and more in my life, when that's happening, I'm like batting flies. Have you ever been, I, I've been to Miss Minnesota. Cammie's family would always go there. They were from there. And <laughs> you take a walk at dusk, you just met the 10 million fly, fly you know, mosquitoes coming after you, and you're just like this. And it's like a very, it's beautiful, everything, but the, the mosquitoes become the only thing I can see until I'm running back inside. I think a lot of times that's the intent of hell, to pull you into the battle so that you'll fight the battle in the flesh and thereby empower the battle because we'll get in the same wrath. Wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. We'll get doubting, questioning. Oh, what, what, it didn't go this way. What, what, what does that mean? Uh, and then, so uh, to hold faith is in what God has given to us in the beautiful Son, Jesus Christ. There is no answer to any battle and struggle, war, trouble in any place other than Jesus Christ. And to the degree a man or woman or family or nation will return to that truth and accept those words and call upon the name of the Lord, to that degree salvation will come. We, we are given opportunities at times to have reprieves, but it's not a reprieve that says the battle has now been resolved and we can go back to living. It's, it is a reprieve that we can spend more intentional time to 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 know this Lord, to press in, to behold him, to, to appear before him. And when we are pleasing in our pursuit, God changes circumstances. He can, in a, like that, change any course in any situation over anybody. And for someone to tell any of us that it's our fault that things haven't changed because we didn't force it through the Spirit to change is usually... Again, I've been in too many of those movements. They usually have a outcome-based mass movement. Everybody push, heave, hoe. We can make this happen. And yet God loves each of us individually. Our heart is the one he loves. And he hears my cry. And he struggles with, he's alongside of me. And he's training me up to look like Jesus. 
all of us. And so he's not wanting any few of us to lead everyone. He wants to lead every one of us into one. And I love that. I just love that about our Lord. So if I can use this, these scriptures to extra, extrapolate, it, it is for the simplest, the smallest matter. Because unless my little heart is at rest in peace, unless my little soul is submitted to the truth of God's word and trusting the Lord, I, am, I will be in conflict and I will only bring conflict wherever I go. But if I can return to those postures, then things begin to increase, first and foremost within us. So Jesus, I'm sure you're familiar with this story. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water. Oh, King James, and I checked the concordance, they were full of water. The boat was going to sink. And they were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And then he arose, rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Mark 4 also shares this story very well. But what happens, he turns to them, he says, where is your faith? Not where did you place your faith. Mark talks about you have no faith. This is where is your faith? Where are you putting your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. So the simple principle, now we've, we will pick this up as quick as our heart will say yes. We'll spend a lifetime learning what that really meant and how could he walk in such authority. This was, they were not getting it. There in the very beginning, in the first verse, what we read, I've got my, okay, there we go. Thank you, Jesus. In, in verse 22, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. So he, our Lord, whom we are learning to emulate, walk with him in the same way he walked with the Father, said and knew and listened and said, it's time, guys, let's get on the boat. We're going over to the other side. Now, they launch. He is resting in those words, and he is exhausted in his ministry responsibilities and demands. So he takes a nap in the stern of the boat on a pillow. Meanwhile, hell and its intent begins to create a violent windstorm. It's not a God storm. It's a windstorm, and windstorms can be very violent. I went out to look at the ocean when I took out the trash this morning, and yeah, it was blowing sideways, and surfers were having it. There's a swell, but the wind was stronger than the largeness of the waves. It'd get on the top of the wave, and you couldn't get back into it because the wind would blow them off. And this is, was a real, these were experienced fishermen. They were, this was their business, their livelihood. So this Filling of the boat, jeopardy, everything. They are now moved or didn't ever acknowledge or learn yet that when Jesus says something, he plans to have it accomplished. He's not concerned about what might come to resist it. So he's asleep. They're drowning. And they wake him up saying, we're in jeopardy. Mark gives us a little insight to their soul. They woke him up by saying, don't you care? We're going to drown. Which is this conflict that we were talking a bit last week, is that my, my soul is so aware of my frailty that any, any uh, ruffling of things, I assume it's something to do with God not being present to help me, love me, and care for me. And that's why this, when a delay happens, when it, it's not a denial as long as your faith doesn't stay engaged. If you keep your faith engaged, we said, yes, Lord, you, we were believing. We've heard your will. We know it's to bring your kingdom. We just thank you. We're, gonna let, we're gonna, not going to get into legislating an outcome because obviously things are in flux and you're moving things to your will, but the kingdom, your will come. 
So he then says to them, where's your faith? Where is your faith? And they marveled because he had this ability from the place of rest in faith to stand up in the storm and declare to the storm, hush, peace, be still. The word peace there is not shalom, like shalom to you storm. It's hush. And immediately the wind and the waves cease. So this Jesus, this is why I believe, like in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, says, if you have been risen with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is. For you have died, and Christ now is your life. And your life is hidden with Christ inside of God. Now, this is truth. It's not, it's, it's not truth that my mind can keep. Because I don't know about your mind. My mind is affected by whatever it's thinking or whatever thoughts are coming or whatever it's seeing. Because it's, it's, it's centered in my soul. So I am the one going, okay, that was a really true. I know that's true. I gotta, my life is hid with Christ and God. How can anything touch my life? Because my life is hid with Christ and God. There, there's, that's in, there's no way anything can out touch my future outside of being in Christ, with Christ in God. But then a little threat here and a little struggle there and a little defense here and a problem there. Next thing you know, that truth isn't there. It's there, but I've gotten distracted. So returning, returning, returning. And Jesus lived that way. He just lived that way. He lived with the Father. He said, I never do anything I don't see my Father doing. I don't say anything I don't hear my Father saying. I don't judge outside of my Father's will. I walk with my Father. He shows me everything he's doing. I spend time. Well, how did he do that? He would spend a lot of time praying. His, his prayer life is recorded in the Gospel of Luke in a very, a very great way, Mark also. And he spent time to recalibrate because he didn't get a special soul. When he emptied himself as God the Son, he became a man. God integral, but a man in person. Took the appearance of a man. So he was born with the soul that's in our blood, the soul that's attached to our flesh. He didn't get special flesh. He didn't get special soul. He would then come and grew up in learning the word and submitting to God, and he, he was, yes, inseparable in fellowship. He had no sin in his spirit. He had, the, he had the great capacity. One that we don't have is that having never sinned, he didn't know how he was not marred by separation. He was constantly, you know, challenged to be separated, but he kept holding himself in the word, holding himself with his father, spending the time communing, enjoying the fellowship he had, letting God love him, allowing truth that you cannot see be seen inside his heart. And he grew up like that. And when we first started reading the Bible and we were doing the Gospels, you know, rapid Gospels in 40, in 40 days, taking all four of them, and I'm just reading it like a little kid going, I can't believe you did that. I mean, I know I'm supposed to have faith like you, but I can't believe you did that. You told... 5,000 people to sit on a grassy hill, took five loaves and two fishes. You told, them, you told them exactly where to be, and then you blessed, and then you handed it, and there was not an ounce of faith in that room. There was nobody. The disciples were upset with you that you weren't dismissing the meeting. How did you do that? Without a hesitation, I heard in my heart the Lord say, I submitted to the Word of God. And so I began to learn that there are truths that I have to come into submission to if they're ever to begin to have the ability to bring dominion in places that God wants to change circumstances first within me. So let's talk about how this happens. I want to use the Apostle Paul, and I'd like to take you to Acts chapter 19, and I'm going to verse, verse 21. And I'll, you can write these down, and, and Barb has them on a text, so you can bug her afterwards, and she'll give them to you. But um, I want to do it uh, because authority doesn't come because it's, authority is like experience. You don't gain it unless you're tested many, 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 many times, failing many, 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 many times, learning that 
you were never, I was never the resource to respond. I need to let the promise be the resource, the Holy Spirit be the resource, return by, and, re, and allow God to respond. The challenge wasn't for me to rise up and prove it. The challenge is for me to be quiet and let God prove it, never breaking agreement with the Lord. That's a really simple, weird thing because my mindset isn't that tendency. I think, well, I've got to do my part, and if I don't do my part, well, then it won't happen. So the fear factor gets me engaged in places I ought to just go, <laughs> Wow, this will be interesting. <laughs> Let's see what happens next. God said something. That's eternal. Purpose of God will not stop. The will of God will be fulfilled. I just think I'm going to be with you for a little bit more. But in the early days, I thought prayer was changing stuff. Going out and make this happen, change that happen. Don't let this happen. Don't let that happen. And then you take on some larger, that's just yourself. Then you take on your kids, family, nation. Boy, you can go crazy really quick. So, Paul is a perfect example. He's a life that's called out of rebellion and religious self-righteousness into faith. We looked at that last week in Philippians 3, and we only got halfway through the chapter. Second half is where there's so much accomplishment through maturity. But it says, after these things were accomplished, it was a riot in Ephesus, and he had, it all had been undone. Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Archaea to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. I believe this is the beginning. This is the genesis of God speaking into our lives by the Holy Spirit with his word. It's just a desire, a purpose. Paul is on an assignment. And I'll take us uh, to uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 13. He's on an assignment. Macedonia is where the Philippian church, Achaia is where the Corinthian church is. And as we can read in the epistles, they were collecting an offering. They wanted to be a part of sending relief to Jerusalem. And this is the second time that was happening. It wasn't the first time. This is the latter part of ministry. And yet it's another offering they're bringing. And he's purposed in his spirit. He says, you know, I'm going to, once I've done that, we've accomplished it. I'm going to go to uh, Spain. I'm going to go to Rome. That was the Genesis. So now in Romans 1, 13, this prompts Paul to write a letter. So nothing's disconnected. Everything in life is connected to Jesus Christ. So whenever I step out of hearing him, I just got to step back in. Plan hasn't changed. Purpose hasn't changed. It's just he's, I'm learning to listen and serve and not get discombobulated by what I see and what's happening. So he writes a letter. Now, I want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you, but I was hindered until now. The things of the kingdom are never given without the devil wanting to resist it. Every door of ministry has a demon as a doorkeeper. And yet it isn't because the God is afraid of that or wants you in a battle. He just He's just calling things forward, and the enemy resists, and we have to learn to kind of say, well, you may resist, but I'm going to rest. I'm going to, I'm going to submit to God. Then I can resist you. I'm going to rest in the, the promise, and then I won't have to fight you in the battle of, of sight. <laughs> and we're coming to so many beautiful rewards that are about to break open beautiful things in the kingdom. Now, I don't want you to be unaware. I've often planned, uh, but I was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the Gentiles. So he writes this incredible letter that today we all benefit because it tells us the, the salvation by faith uh, and the new covenant and grace and so forth. Now, as he closes in Romans 15, verse 22, He's now re reiterating, I'm going to come see you guys. So he says, for this reason, I have also been much hindered from coming to you. But now, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire, these many years to come to you. So what the things of the kingdom I've discovered have to grow over time inside of us 
and desire and are we just going to relinquish the promise, give it up, who cares? Must, that's that uh, Reese Howell's tr- principle that if something's stirring and you get witness and you have a connection and the promise begins to be fulfilled and you sense an outcome, but the outcome doesn't happen, don't give, let go of the faith. Become flexible to allow God's outcome. See, where the, whatever God said, he has a desired outcome. He has a set outcome. He has an end in time. He never speaks without an end intended. But that end can become, for him, it's like I said it to him one day. I said, Lord, how, do you, how can you actually speak to my future? Because I can mess it up so many times. I mean, how do you know what I'm going to, if I may say, yes, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to not do it. How do you do it? And he said to me in the simplest way, and I thought, oh, a father with a toddler. He said, I am like 10 billion steps ahead of you. You cannot out undo yourself outside of my con- capacity to just keep bringing you forward. It was so comforting. Uh, so comforting. It takes the pressure off. So he says, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first, I may enjoy your company for a while. So he's, he's planning. Uh, and now I'm going to Jerusalem. This is where, he, remember, we had the purpose. This, and things didn't happen in, in weeks. Many of these kinds of things we read in Scripture are years. He says, I'm coming to minister to the saints. For it pleased them from Macedonia and Archaea. That's, again, what he purposed after he'd gone through Macedonia and Archaea. To make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of the spiritual things, we cut into the olive branch and olive tree, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. And therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. So then he this is, this is so important, and this is why we're learning to pray and to agree with God and in his word and care for one another in our heart. Because he says, uh, but I know that when I come to you, now I'm going to come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. That little verse. If we were, each of us would just to begin to embrace, that's my aim. When I go to work tomorrow, I want to come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Uh, when I go to church this next Wednesday for prayer, I want to come in the blessing of the gospel of Christ. It's, it's again, the transcending. I'm not living on this planet. I'm walking through it, but I'm resourced from above in this glorious gospel. Now, I beg you. I learned this so many years ago, still forget it all the time. Paul is begging, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to, to God for me. Paul, Paul knew it wasn't just God's will and his desire and purpose that would get him to where he was supposed to be. It needed to be the pulling on the other end. There always has to be a pulling because God doesn't, sometimes the reason we're delayed is because the ones on the other side don't want what we have, what God wants to bring. So he's going to let that stuff kind of, you know, fester a bit till the desire is crying out and the maturity has been born out and the will of perfect timing of God is set forth and all of a sudden we have a Kairos moment. So he says, will you help me? Be a part of this. So that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He put out a really sincere prayer request that was... And we don't even know to how, what degree that it was ever got to the Romans. But we know that it didn't turn out that way. 
for Paul. God's will will be accomplished, but it didn't turn out that way for Paul. So if we can now jump back into Acts. Acts uh, 20, verse 17 through 32. Acts 20, we'll start at verse 17. Paul is trying to, he's, he's, he's aware that he's pressing through something that's resisting, and he's not, and God never tells you the outcome exactly, because if he gave an exact outcome, there would be no faith required. So I always think faith is not a calculated act to bring a, a, a set result. It's more of an abandonment to the love and character of God to serve, to do his word, and we'll see what happens. Uh, but it'll be good because God is good. So uh, he's on his way, and he's stopping to say goodbye to the Ephesians elders, but he doesn't want to get caught in Ephesus because he's trying to, well, we'll read it. He sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they'd come to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with humility, with many tears, trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus, always and forever. That is my life. That is my posture every day. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit, he understands he's now on a, and this will happen in lives, our lives at times. We become more and more set on something God's saying in, so stay with me. I always hear the Lord, just stay with me, Steve. Spirit will say, I got you, but walk with me. I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. I've never... I just don't ever have God tell me exactly how it's going to happen. I get an inkling. I get a leaning. I get uh, an assurance of some, at some point, an outcome will be as the scriptures say. But I don't really know what's going to happen. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies. In every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. So he's been praying. I'm begging you, please. I'm begging you. Please pray with me. Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Because he's getting a, he's, but you see, chains and tribulations isn't a reason for us to not continue forward. But now, but none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life, my suke, my soul, myself, dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of our God. So he's, he's really growing a posture of trust and determination, like a race, like a, like a champion, like a boxer. Someone who's saying, I've got an outcome, and I'm going to just try, I'm going to move with it. Uh, and indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. God's closing doors, opening new ones. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit made you overseers, to shepherd the church, which God, he purchased with his own blood. I'll pause. I think I'm, I, there's more to read. But let's carry on with Paul's life. He arrives in Rome. And he brings the gift. It's welcomed. It's received. And everyone's very grateful for it. But James and the elders, they've got a, a different problem. They've got a problem that Paul's reputation is creating havoc among uh, uh, law-observant Jewish, law-observant believers in Yeshua. They believe in Yeshua, but what they've been hearing is an affront. They've been told through the rumor mill that Paul is teaching Jews, born Jews, to not circumcise their children, to not keep the law. None of the things that Paul was doing, but the exaggeration, as in all stories, all wars, all wars are words, right? 
I was, we were with our, uh, some of our two, our two oldest and their families for Thanksgiving, getting ready to come home. And a uh, little three-year-old, she's sitting this, having breakfast, and her brother uh, eyeing his cousin sitting next to her, and he's telling his dad, I want to sit next to Mikey. So dad comes uh, with uh, little Nathaniel and says to Kaya, Kaya, can Nathaniel sit next to Mikey and have breakfast? She says, no, I was here first. And all I could hear is that's how every war begins. I want that place. No, that's my place. I want my seat. No, that's my seat. So this conflict, these, we've got a problem. So they come uh, back to James and Jerusalem and the elders. They said, we've got a plan. We want you to take these men who are believers in Yeshua, but also observant in the temple, and they've made a vow. I want you to pay for their vow, the offering that you return at the end of the vow. I want you to shave everybody's heads. That's part of that vow they were taking, and then fulfill that. And then everybody will know, because of that simple compliance to the law, that you really don't do that. And we should have, we should have peace at home. But while they're in the temple, fulfilling the vow... Some of the Asian Jews, which was where all this struggle was, was is without the dysphoria in Asia, they recognize Paul. And they think that some of these men are, from, are Gentiles. Again, if we all had to have our heads shaved, we might not recognize each other. You can make assumptions very quick. So they, they, they said, this man who's teaching the law, the law against the law everywhere, he's brought in Gentiles, which was to totally defile the temple. So they yank him out. They pull him out. They're on their way to kill Paul. So this plan didn't work. But Paul gets up. He gets to testify to all of the, all of the mob, all of the Judeans that were in there in the temple. And he gets his testimony out in chapter 22. But he still has to now stand before the Sanhedrin because they didn't listen to his testimony because once they mentioned the hot button, you see, got to learn some things, guys. Hot buttons are not God buttons. They're not God buttons. They're soul buttons. It's, you know, have, have, in marriage we learn that, right? You press my button. Yeah, well, God says, that, you know, and it, God's in, in plan is, I'll let that button get pressed until it doesn't re- give, create a reaction. I'm the responder. Be a responder, not a reactor. So they jumped. They got to the word that says, uh, Paul, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Gentiles! He's not worthy to live! Kill him! So they pull him into a, a beating. The news gets to the centurion. The centurion brings his army, pulls Paul out of that, and the story is he gets to share his testimony, but still they are unwilling to relinquish him, and so he's on his way to the Sanhedrin. That day in the Sanhedrin, Paul is just a man. We're all men. I do not become a better man over my journey with Jesus. I hopefully become a more submitted man, a more yielded man, a more, un, uh, you know, like, it's not for me to make this outcome. But I will still be, I'm still the person I am. And Paul, in this Sanhedrin, which is a rigged jury, it is a, it is a kangaroo court. It is there for one purpose, is to find the means to kill this man because of all the prejudice and all the decisions prior. And Paul is watching, and he's, he's a smart guy, and he's observing. He goes, There's a, it, the, the Sanhedrin was led by the high priest, a, a um, Sadducee. A Sadducee was a tect that did not believe in resurrection, and they did not believe in angels. They did not believe in the supernatural. They were liberals. Could have been Democrats. But the Pharisees, they believed in everything. They believed the Bible. They believed in resurrection. They believed in the spirit. They were conservatives. Might have been Republicans. Paul, looking upon this kangaroo court and realizing, we have no choice to get through this thing, he rails out, Brethren, I am a Pharisee here on trial because of the resurrection. He just, I mean, masterful divide. Place, place splits. 
said, he said, you see, we had, you know, and they're the ones in command. They're the president of, this, of the council, the Sanhedrin. And no, and the Pharisees all of a sudden saying, well, I don't see any problem with this man. Maybe an angel did speak to him. See, because he touched their button of affirmation. They, he challenged the button of, con, you know, conflict. And they're about to pull him apart again. <laughs> and when we become spiritual sons and daughters maturing, we learn that there are certain things we're not allowed to do to get reactions we want. And Paul is convicted. And I could prove this over the breath next conversations. But the most important one is what happens uh, in a verse, let me see, where would we be? Probably verse 11 of chapter 23. This is that following night. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must bear witness at Rome. So the, the Lord's coming forward, giving him enough understanding we're going forward. He's, he's convicted because he later, he later admits to Felix and to the group of the Sanhedrin that I probably shouldn't have created a division that way. But that's the only thing that I could be now, I would, my conscience convicts me of sin over. So we know the story. For two and a half years, he's down in Caesarea, which is on the coast, the Roman capital of Palestine, which they called Israel, as they ruled, and, they are live, and he's there waiting. And finally, it is decided again he has, he's going to Rome. Now, we jump over to chapter 27. They get on a boat. Centurion's got a number of political prisoners they're bringing to Rome. And they're, they're on a boat. They travel here, there, and they get to what we'll read. Now, when we had been, much time had been spent. And sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over. That means Yom Kippur had already passed. So September, October, now they're probably, like now, November maybe. And Paul advised them. This is a perception. He says, uh, saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. He's got a witness. He has an awareness. He has perception that this is not the time to keep going at this, in this vehicle at this time. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, and the one they ended in wasn't it, it was far worse than the one they would have, could have stayed in, and the majority advised them to set sail for sea. So watch out for the majority. They don't always make the right choices. And if by any means they could reach to Phoenix, a harbor in Crete, an opening toward the southwest so that, and the northwest and the winter there. So it's a good plan. And then watch this because here again, circumstances are, they catch you. Because we don't walk by, we walk by faith, not by sight. So sight is never necessarily a good indicator that's the next step. So when the south wind blew softly, you know, those, those late autumn summers, and they can still get that. We can get, we, you know, we live here on the coast of California. The, the, in December, we can have some of the most balmy, beautiful, tranquil, inviting hot ocean days. We can also have those monster days like last December. Destructive, you never know. But so let's say that when the soft wind blew softly, supposing, that's really being led by the Spirit, that they had obtained their desire. This was a confirmation. This was an omen. This was a, uh, a fleece. They sailed close by Crete. So they're just They're just trying to go around the island. They're just trying to go around the island. (laughs) But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. 
or a northeaster. And when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, they let her drive. So this wind, there was no way to continue their direction, so they're now being forced in the winds propelling them. And running under the shelter of an island called Clada, they secured the skiff with difficulty. And when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And that's an old nautical term. They frapped around to hold the whole hull together, which is the same word in, uh, we use in Hebrews when it says, come boldly to the throne of grace that we might find, might obtain mercy and find grace to help. Wrap that grace around us. Hold us because we're going through a storm. And the whole point is don't fall apart in the middle of the storm. So they're now doing everything they can. And, they, and fearing that we'd run aground on the sister sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed the next day, they lightened the ship. So they're doing everything that you should do in the midst of a storm. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. This shows the urgency and the seriousness of this storm. And now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, about 14-plus days, we'll find out in a moment, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Where is your faith? If your faith is attached to a hope outcome, and you journey, and the, out, and the outcome goes so south, you will... The hope, will do, the hope will drain. If you lose your hope, you just, you're pretty much lost. Hope is what the war is over. Faith in what God has said and who is saying it, but it's hope that's keeping us focused to advance. But after a long abstinence from food, Paul's been just in a fast. He's a, then Paul stood in the midst. Now watch, watch the power of one who has found God in the midst of a circumstance he was not to go into, but he had no choice to go into because he's not the captain of the ship. He's a prisoner. Paul stood up in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me. I just, you got to, you know, you have to now, you know, as a husband or wife, you got to say, I told you, but you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. See, I, I'm always asking, Lord, I want to learn to be led by the Spirit. I want to follow you in the smallest of matters so I don't have to go in the biggest of these disasters. And now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. He's, his perceptions has been altered. He has another outcome. He didn't let go of faith. Faith came to him. Faith is Jesus. Faith in Jesus. Faith to the man. The man is the, what's important. What I'm in is not what's determining my outcome. It's whose I am. In fact, he says this. For there stood by me this night. That's where the authorities come to speak these words. There's this night an angel of God to whom I belong. What a, that's what we're learning. Every test and trial we're going through is to learn I belong to God. And God will have his way. And I need not fear anything. He, he has said he'll never leave me nor forsake me. So I can boldly say what can man do to me. But those words that I read have to be experienced in the testings. The testings proved that the word I read was true. And so he now says, there's an angel of God. He appeared to me whom I belong. The God I belong to and the God I serve. Saying, do not be afraid, Paul. That means Paul was afraid, right? God doesn't tell us to not do things because we're not. He's telling us to stop doing something. Don't be afraid, Paul. Don't be afraid. You must be brought before Caesar. Oh, a promise. A man in promise is not the prisoner of a storm and cannot be drowned. Think about this. This, this is all of our lives. Started with Jesus. Paul is an exa uh, extraordinary example, but the principle is for all of us. Where he says, it, and it will be reiterated. That's why you get, we get quiet. Never get, never get all panicked. We've all been in those moments. 
You think you lost your child in, a, in, in Walmart. And you start running, running, running. You know, it's, it's, he had to get still. Don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Was Paul's perception incorrect? No, it was correct as the, as the, as the second spirit says to Scrooge, will, when he asked about little Timmy, will this seat become, will he be okay? And he says, I see that if the, the, if the course is not changed, I see an empty chair with a, with a crutch leaning. And so that's why we hear God intervene or get a sense of urgency to pray. It's not that we are told exactly what it is, but it's... it's so Paul's in this, Paul is in a tide. He, he had a promise. He's on a mission. It's not the way he envisioned it. He never wanted to go to Rome as a prisoner. He wanted to spend the winter. He, want, he had all kinds of plans, but he's never let go of the... Because God keeps telling him, we've got some place we've got to go. Something's going to... We have to finish. And now he's being told, you're going. But meanwhile, Paul's saying... There's like 260 people on the ship, Papa. I know I've got a place to be, and I've got an assignment, and I've got an appointment, and I've got a promise, and I know that, and I believe you're, you will not, you didn't give me the promise. See, God loves to give us promise that will carry us through a problem. It's by prophecy we wage war against the difficulties against. But, he, but he's going, Lord, Father, I just believe you. You can save us all. You can save us all. You can save us all. In Paul's story in Corinthians, he tells a story that at another time in his life, he spent three days in the deep of the ocean. So he's, he's but he's now, he's not willing. He's going, I want the whole ship. See, we could do that for California. We can do that for Israel. We can do that for America. We can do that for our family. Because one connected and now the angel affirms it. That's the witness. That's why prayer does not stop until the witness is given that you have been heard and that your petition has been granted. It's not that you're, we're not bugging God, pestering God. We're just staying in a listening posture of trusting in God. So, therefore, he says, take heart, men, for I believe God. I believe God. I don't believe promises. I believe God. The promises indicate to me what God is doing. But the, but the reason I have confidence in the promise is the one who made it. If he says it, he will plan to, he will perform it. And this is being now forged into storm. I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. So, he's now beginning to become the captain of the ship instead of the prisoner on passage. However, we must run aground on a certain island. See, God has readjusted the conflict of man, the willingness, selfishness, you know, whatever that would lead him here, they warn not to. But we must now go, but now God says, okay, well, we've, we're still getting you where you got to be, and we're going to say bring everybody else. So now when the 14th night had come, and we were driven up and down the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that there was drawing near some land. So they took soundings, and they found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they'd gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing, lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped the anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, you see, you may know the will of the Lord, I may know the will of the Lord, I may know the will of God for you, but I don't have no control over you. And that doesn't mean because I tell you or we say over that not man is going to keep moving like this, it's just like herding cats. So he says, they went, they were going to let down the skiff, little rope, you know, lifeboat, into the sea under the pretense of putting out anchors from the prow. I don't know. Maybe that makes sense. Paul said to the centurion, remember he had a conversation before this with the centurion? 
And now he says to the centurion, the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Oh, the centurion's all ears now. Whatever this man of prayer has found his way and knows the will and is radiating salvation out of his voice and his words. And he says, we got to keep them on the ship. Get out. Get back in. And they, instead of kind of calculating their bets, they're all in the word of God that's being proclaimed. The soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let them fall off. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all. This, this, is, this is the plan of God in our lives, in the problems that we're living through, in the prisons that we've been placed in, in the storms that we're going through, is that in we there find God. There we find him to be all sufficient for us so that then we can give life to those surrounding us. Because he says, it's, you've waited and you've continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you, take nourishment, for this is your survival. Since not a hair will fall from your head of any of you. So, and when, they had said, when he had said these things, he took bread and he gave thanks to God. I mean, he's Jesus on the mountain that day. It's going to, you know, give life. In the presence of them all, and when they had broken it, they began to eat, and they were all encouraged. It was transferable. Confidence is transferable. Faith is transferable. If it's forged and it's truly there, you can be given. If always, it's just, let me finish. And it... And there were 276 persons on the ship. So when they'd eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach and when they, and onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go of the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, losing the rudder, loosing the rudder ropes, they hosted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. Let's just drive this boat onto the land. But striking a place where two seas met, the, the ship ran aground. The prow struck fast and remained immovable. The winds pounded, you know, the waves pounding. The stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. The ship is about to break apart. And the soldiers' plan. See, everybody's still got a plan. But that's why we, we just can't deny people's plans. God's got to over rise the sound of his plan above the plans of man. And he begins to change man's choices. He never forces man. He begins to help men see the, cho the better choice. So he says, they wanted to kill the prisoners. Let's kill them. Then we don't get responsible. We can make, it'll sound better on the accident report. <laughs> also, all prisoners did not escape. They died. Anyway, that they should swim away and escape. But the incentorian wanting to save Paul. It takes a man in authority, recognizing someone with God's authority. He kept them from their purpose, commanded those who could swim. They should jump overboard first and let their hand, and, you know, get to land, and the rest should grab some boards and on some parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Now, beloved, we are in this storm. The world is in this storm. Jesus told us we would be in storms. We are, and all storms were to, in, to increase our endurance of our faith and to experience God's faithfulness in his promise so that our hope is not the kind of hope we're born with, with opportunity and, and longing, but it's a hope that's forged in us that's eternal. It's a hope that does not disappoint. I'm believing, I'm hoping, I know my God. I don't care if I die in here, we, I die here. I'm not going to try to force that, but I'm not going to let go of that. You said I'm going there, and we're going to do that. And I just want to release a blessing on us. See, I don't believe this is the hour where a few will save many. I believe it's an hour when many will save all. I believe there's much ahead of us, much ahead of us. So take a moment, and just, I'm, I'm sure it won't take you but a moment. What storm are you in? Start with the number one struggle that you're struggling with, you're trying to st struggle out of. 
reckon, you know, pull it down, make it submit. What other struggles are you involved in because others have brought you into their struggles? Because of relationship, covenant, marriage, because of, of work and positions that you must hold. What struggles are you um, observing that need to have the, the pending problem that it will place upon you? Government's decisions, loss of your income, uh, economies, things that are now even further beyond our control. And as you kind of, I uh, just encourage you in the next few days, just ponder where you are. And don't try to get out of where you are. Then just say, now, Lord, where are you? Where are you right now? I find it helpful at times. I tell the Lord where I am in case he forgot. <laughs> but I don't ever accuse him that I'm there because he put me there on a, and because of, you know, I just, I just don't go there in that conversation. It's like marriages. We learn not to blame each other for the problem we're in. We learn to connect to each other in the midst of the problem we're in. So, where are you, Lord? And when the Lord comes, he will always reassure us toward our future. He just cannot not bring hope. The God of hope fills us with joy and peace and believing we can abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is, the, this is what we're learning to do. Because God knows what he's planning to do with you and me and us to bring salvation to many, to bring healing to many, to bring deliverance to many. He trains those who are to bring salvation and healing in prison situations, in Un, in, in, in circumstances will not relent. And he gives us the victory within the circumstance to the day it no longer matters. And about that time when you aren't bothered and I'm not bothered by where I am, next thing you know, God says, why don't you go get the rest of the people out of that same place? That's what we're going to do. So, Father, I know. I'm, thank you for sending the alarm. <laughs> he could. I want to stop. Let's stand up. Just, just to, we'll say a simple prayer and let the worship begin. You've been so patient, and it's been a big weekend. And if you've been like me, you've ate a lot of food. So grace to us all. Where am I in what storms of life? Or am I caught in, connected to, fearful of? just want to you now turn from that site and place my faith in God in the Lord Jesus I'm not gonna I'm not complaining to the uh, I don't know how I got to the unique set of circumstances but I know whom I who I belong to and he never sleeps and never slumbers a bird does not fall to the ground without our father knowing so I return. Just say to the Lord, I return to you. I just return to your care, return to your hands, provision. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. Holy Spirit, help me. Come, Holy Spirit. Reaffirm the word of God, the will of God. Angels come, appear, stand alongside, speak over us. Oh, Lord, as you did for Paul Egypt very critical moment of his life he could have succumbed to a bad choice making a bad decision and come under condemnation and yet you said no no be good courage Paul you've got to testify of me also in Rome hallelujah hallelujah just lift up your eyes and look into heaven and let God just begin to affirm his son in us he will never never not succeed what he began he is the fullness of the answer to all problems, all storms, all troubles. Praise you. Praise you, Jesus. Like we began in worship, just say his name, Jesus. Jesus, we worship you. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, you are faithful to trust. You are the one we walk with and live in. Hallelujah. Praise you. Praise you. Now, Father, I pray that in this season we're in, 
you will still us inside the storm. That we will disengage from the terror of the night. And we will quiet ourselves and know you are God and be known by you as our God. I pray that blessing over this week in all that concerns us and all assignments you've given us that we would be recalibrated fully every day. Grace our prayer time. Bless our Bible reading. Bless our rest. And make times of refreshing come to us from the presence of the Lord. Wherever we are, in whatever we are, bring blessing and refreshing to all of us, we pray. Everyone online, everyone who will catch up with us over the week, we rejoice in who you are, Jesus. We say, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Yes, Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.